This is Doing Translational Research, a podcast from the Bronfenbrenner Center for Translational Research in the College of Human Ecology at Cornell University. Hello and welcome. This is Doing Translational Research. I'm your host, Tony Burrow, director of the Bronfenbrenner Center for Translational Research. Today, I am extremely grateful to be joined by my colleague here at Cornell, Dr. Adam Hoffman. Welcome, Adam. Thanks. Great to be here. Adam is an assistant professor of psychology. He focuses on how ethnic and racial and gender identities develop during adolescence and how these identity shifts affect academic motivation and achievement, psychosocial well-being, and mental health. Um, So before we jump too far into things, perhaps it would be helpful if you fill in the gaps of my description and share in your own words a little bit about your work. Um, I think a way of thinking about this we generally start with is, what are the big questions that your work is trying to answer? Sure. Uh, The question I think right at the core of my program of research is, how can we take social identities and leverage them for the good? Um, Kind of this very basic applied question of how can we you know, use these these identities that we that everyone has, um, uh, and kind of use them for the good to enhance positive well-being, but also to kind of protect kids um, when they experience forms of discrimination and other kinds of biases um, uh, in their daily lives, because we know that this does happen. Um, so that's kind of what I want to try to understand and to do. And that's a very applied question, right? That's something that's very real world. But because of that, we do need to be informed about our social identities and how they're changing and developing in adolescence. So I do have some very basic research that helps us to be able to understand how our social identity is changing in adolescence, but then also how do they relate to different outcomes that we think are important for kids, things like well-being, mental health, academic achievement, and motivation. And then my last line of research is really just kind of the basic line of research is of the applied side and saying, how can we use these identities now um, Mm -hmm. to kind of help enhance these things that we we want to enhance and mitigate some of these negative aspects that that happen. So so you've introduced the sort of distinction between basic research and applied research and something I want to sit with for a second. Um, But before we even start to delve further into that, could you just take a moment and tell us how you came to this work? Um, what, what sort of happened in your own scholarly trajectory that said this is what you want to focus on? Yeah, well, I've thought about social identities my whole life, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, coming from a, an ethnic, racially homogenous environment, I grew up in, in rural Indiana, and we did have a few kids in my school that were ethnic, racial minorities. And I was friends with them, and they would talk to me about their experiences. And I found it fascinating to think about some of their unique experiences that they had. But then also, you know, I identify as a gay man and have my own marginalized identities and hmm. social identities as well. And all of this kind of came to a nexus, you know, um, as I was thinking about psychology and undergraduate and thinking about what, what are some of the things that really interest me. And I think social identities are so influential and can shape so much of our lives. Hmm. That, that, that's, some, that's where I knew that's where I wanted to go. From, from, from that lived experience. So mm-hmm. w- one more probative question here is this question of identity. You talk about social identity, recognizing its importance in, in our lives. At a recent dinner party that I was invited to, one of the only parties I've been invited to, so it's very memorable and salient mm-hmm. to me, is um, I was 
talking with another guest who turned out to be a philosopher, and he asked me a question. He said, how does psychology treat identity? In other words, how, how do psychologists even think about and understand this concept of identity? And, and I thought the question was really interesting, but I think more so was just the conversation we had afterwards about the different ways in which disciplines sort of use terms and have sort of an understanding of things. What is identity to you? When we talk about, when you measure it, when you're trying to understand it, what is it we're trying to understand when you think about identity? Yeah, yeah. Well, identity is an overall sense of self and who you are. Hmm. That's kind of the broad, you know, just what you, your identity. But then, of course, we have lots of these little social identities as well that mm-hmm. are on the basis of these different kinds of groups that we belong to. And it's just a sense of self within these specialized groups that we have. That's what a social identity is. And so that's kind of how I conceptualize our identities and social identities specifically. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So in your work, I mean, you mentioned sort of basic work and applied research. Um, across your work, do you involve community partners or other non-academic stakeholders in your work? Do you include others? Yes, absolutely. So I work and I'm continuing to work with indigenous nations and hmm. indigenous folks. And so because of that, you almost have to engage in the, that mm-hmm. kind of research, mm-hmm. community-engaged research, to be successful. Mm-hmm. There's just, you. I mean, these are communities that you're going into in very specialized, specific places. Mm-hmm. Some other populations you can work more generally, but here you're going to be working with a very specific population, and so you have to come in with this kind of attitude of, of, of being a servant for these communities and, and engaging with these communities, working with these communities mm-hmm. in order to be able to make change happen within that kind of community. Because, of course, they're the experts of their community. Mm-hmm. I'm just there to help facilitate action happening. That's, that's interesting, the, the, the perspective. So can you talk about what your experience has been like engaging with these communities while doing your research, namely... What are some obstacles or challenges or even opportunities that are unique to to this line of work? Yeah, absolutely. It is more challenging. I'll just say that. <laughs> okay. um, you know, some I hear about psychologists and the way that they collect their data, and it just is so simple and fast, and you collect it on the internet, <laughs> and you can just, you know, have these studies just bang, 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 all all out in a row, and. It just it takes so much time to build a relationship with a community, first and foremost, especially if you're an outsider. That's going to just take some time. Mm-hmm. You have to get folks on your side who maybe are affiliated with that community. Um, that's something that I did from the very beginning. So I work with the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. Mm-hmm. And from the very beginning, I was working with the American Indian Center at UNC Chapel Hill to be able to help facilitate that relationship to really, you know, they, in essence, vetted me um, mm-hmm. and, and then advocated for me with, to mm. the Eastern Band um, mm. by providing support and saying, you know, Dr. Hoffman is, he's good people. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, we're, we're here to say that this is someone that if you want to work with this person, you know, we think he's a, a good person. And then after that, there's lots of special nuances working with Native American communities. Oftentimes, they have their own IRB process. Mm. So that's something I had to navigate was an IRB process to be able to engage in this research. But then also just getting in there, boots on the ground, and speaking with community members and trying to find the right people, meeting with them and talking with them, and hearing about the experiences and needs of the community. So there's just so much (laughs) of this early legwork before you can even begin to think about an experimental design or a research design for your study to be able to do that. Sort of seems par for the course, though. 
the particular communities with which you're doing your research, the partners that you're cultivating here, I mean, you think of a lot of times community-engaged work or community-based work. You think of populations of maybe kids, right, or adolescents in which you're seeking, I don't know, access or permission from like parents or principals. And in the case of your work, it's with communities or, or nations, right, mm-hmm. of indigenous communities mm-hmm. or Native American communities, which seems to hold a, a sort of a, a different kind of, and even maybe even delicate relationship, given given the history of, of work and research with or, or on those communities. It seems like you also have to be mindful of that history as you go in to do the work, because you realize that you're holding on to something really precious with that kind of access. Of course, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I came across the the motto, and I, I, I still it resonates with me today. Of, you, you have to learn how to walk softly and listen carefully, mm. Um, mm. when working with Native nations, and that's something that's so important for me, and that I continue to do, is to really just come into the space and listen, because mm. that's the most important thing that you can do. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, really interesting insight from a researcher. Sometimes we think about, well, we have a question and we need you to give me an answer, but to listen and to really Mm -hmm. reflect on what's happening in that process seems really important. So in thinking about what brought you to this research, what brought you to the research with the specific communities with which you work, the indigenous and Native American communities? How did you get connected with those communities in your work? Yeah, yeah. So um, I knew, you know, in early life, as I've mentioned, I was interested in in social identities kind of broadly from my own experiences Mm -hmm. personally. Uh, But then once I got to graduate school, um, I started working in a lab that was doing work with social identities and stereotypes in African-American black populations. I was at UNC Chapel Hill, and the local population is predominantly black Mm African-American. And so I did my first two years there and was grateful to do the work. And it was very, I found it very interesting. But ultimately, I felt like I didn't know if that was the space for me, the space for me to be in. Mm. And that was fine. Um, <laughs> I just knew that, that I just, there's lots of really great scholars out there, black scholars and also allied scholars um, who are doing this research and doing really great work. Um, and, and I just felt like, you know, you know, I just didn't know if that was the space for me. So mm-hmm. the American Indian Center at UNC then was putting on an event, and I went to it, and I was just talking with people at the American Indian Center about who I was and that I studied identities, and this is just something that I do. And, you know, they they started saying, you know, and affirming me really and just being like, mm-hmm. you know, that's really interesting, and I think that there might be some people that are interested in working with you, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is something that we really – think that could be pretty cool. And so because of that, then um, they said, you know, like, let's, ho- let's hook you up with the Eastern Band and, and see if we can, if, they, if there's some needs there. And it kind of went on from there. But that was really kind of the way that I started to work with indigenous populations hmm. is just by, by a happenstance in some ways. But I just remember that. And it was, it was a very moving moment because I felt like for the first time this was a, a place and a space where I was wanted and needed. It, it, the the idea of affirmation comes through in that in that anecdote of of the very thing you're talking about in terms of identity, of knowing who you are, what you can contribute, what you like or don't like, and what's going to work, what's not going to work. And it seems like your own path had a little bit of all of that. There's things you got dabbled into and thought, this may not be for me. And then that same sort of interest, though, took you to another place and it, and it worked out. And that's Absolutely. what you were saying. Very interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. And and to say this is just, I'm just so excited to be able to help um, contribute to our understanding of, of identities with Native American mm-hmm. children and, and just psychological research in general because it's just so underrepresented. Mm. Um, I recently looked at our top four developmental journals of the highest impact factors for research that was focused specifically on Native American populations. Mm-hmm. And in the past 20 years, I found that there were 19 studies. Um, wow. Uh, just, you know, wow. less than one a year across yeah. four journals. Um, and so I just am really excited um, to be able to have the opportunity to kind of help contribute to the literature. And we actually now have an, an upcoming special issue or section um, in child development. Oh, um, so the wonderful. call will go out in January for um, specifically focused uh, research on wonderful. indigenous child development. Fantastic. And congratulations on that. So it's, it's, it's really addressing a need in the literature to, to speak to. Uh, well, wonderful. Um, in, in your work, sort of across your work and the research you do, um, what are things that you want the general public to know about or to really understand? Are there a couple of things that you think are just really important insights for the average person to know? Yeah, I think I think I think ultimately, I just want people to know that. And I think that some people may know this subconsciously, but I want people to explicitly know um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that social identities are really powerful tools that actually drive and shape our thoughts and behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that we can actually use and leverage and are things that could be celebrated and really kind of powerful tools that can really shape our lives. And so I really want to kind of emphasize that in my research, again, showing this through our basic understanding of how these things are changing and the implications it has for the lives of youth, but also showing how we can actually literally do that through intervention research. Can you say a little bit about that? I mean, it's interesting insight that, that, that identities social identities are tools or they can be used, they can be leveraged to do other things, to do different things, to produce certain kinds of outcomes. Can you bring that to, give us an example of what that might look like? Yeah, yeah. So I'll just give an example from my own research. Sure, please, please do. Um, You know, I really wanted to try to find a way that we could enhance motivation with Cherokee adolescents. And so I did that through an intervention trying to shape identities to be congruent with academic success because we know if you view something that you have an identity as and you view something that as part of you know you're successful within that domain you're more likely to engage in that domain Mm -hmm. right and we call that identity-based motivation so if you're more likely to be you know if you're if you view this as congruent with your identity you're more likely to engage in it and so i developed an intervention that was aimed at shaping identities to be congruent with stem success in particular Mm -hmm. This was a, a concern that was brought up to me mm. by teachers and that they, they felt like there was a lack of motivation, particularly around STEM domains. And so I tried to find a way that we could shape that so that way these identities were seen as like, oh, this is, you know, I'm Cherokee and Cherokee are successful in STEM. Mm. So then then kids might subsequently become more interested or have more motivation in STEM domains. See, that's, that's fascinating that um, you might approach increasing or enhancing motivation sort of externally like you we want you to be more motivated but maybe their insight here is that there can be something happening within a person's sense or construal of themselves like i am someone who can do well in math or stem or whatever it might be that playing with that identity uh, notion opens sort of a new approach here that's really really interesting if there were if i could push you to think sort of top level if there were one real world change 
that you could make based upon your research, what would it be and why? I think to reduce disparities that we see among kids from marginalized backgrounds mm. and, and populations. Mm. I think that that's ultimately my goal is mental health or academic motivation and achievement. Those are the things that I'm trying to help mitigate through, my, especially in my applied research and, and developing these interventions to really kind of make it more equitable for these kids. It, it makes make sense and connects to your own sort of motivations you spoke to earlier about why what drew you to this work in the first place, maybe addressing some of those disparities, making things better for, for, for young people seems like a really important, uh, unfortunately ambitious, but important goal. And so we're glad that you're, you're on it and, and working on it. I like to end uh, with, with something that may, may or may not have a response to so we can talk about this. But um, I'd like to end by asking, um, is there anything you'd like to say in this space around doing your research, your translational research uh, around social identities that I didn't ask about, but you think it'd be important to, to speak to? I think that it's really important that we all work together to solve these issues and problems. Hmm. This is something that I've thought a lot about kind of in terms of my own personal identities as a white, cis, gay man, you know, that I work in other populations that I don't necessarily identify with. But I think that there's a lot of opportunity that can come from people working from different populations and with different populations, both as insiders and also allies, um, Hmm. to be able to kind of help come together and, and work together to address these issues. I am so grateful and thankful that there's lots of straight people out there that are allies that are doing research with gay and um, LGTB queer populations. And I'm so grateful for that. And so I think it's just really great that we're all working together um, on this this research with social identities and making sure that we, you know, are, are working together to solve these issues. And that, that's something I think is really important. Wonderful. Sort of a, a call for community that we, we all have something to, to gain by working together uh, mm-hmm. to, to, to address these things. Um, well, well, thank you so much. This was a delightful conversation. Um, so thank you for being here. Um, I'd like to once again thank our guest, Dr. Adam Hoffman, for taking the time to chat with us and to share a little bit about his work. Um, and thank you all for listening to this episode of Doing Translational Research. Take care.